Good evening. This is Patrick Donahue. We appreciate you listening every week at this same time to Bible Crossfire. <clears throat> Here on Bible Crossfire, we emphasize God's Word, which is the truth. John seventeen seventeen, Jesus said, Sanctify them through thy truth. Thy Word is truth. So the only way we can be sanctified, that is, cleansed from our sins, is through the truth, through the Word of God. That means we have to study the Word of God, accept what the Word of God says, and put it into practice in our lives. That's the only way that we can be sanctified. The only way we can set, be set free from our sin is by the truth. John eight thirty two, And you shall know the truth, and the truth will make you free. And that's why we emphasize on this program the difference between truth and false religious teaching. A lot of preachers just don't really think that it matters. You can preach anything you want to and every answer, even if they're contradictory, are right. No, two plus two cannot equal four and five at the same time, even in religion. It's the truth that will set us free from sin. Last week, we started to talk about, didn't get very far, but we started to talk about 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verses 10-12. through 12. Here's how that reads. And with all deceivableness of unrighteousness, in them that perish, because they receive not the love of the truth that they might be saved. And for this cause God shall send them strong delusion, that they should believe a lie, that they all might be condemned who believe not the truth, but had pleasure in unrighteousness. We started talking about that passage. One of the things that I want to mention as we go through the passage at this point, is that it says they receive not the love of the truth. And a lot of people are like that. They do not receive the love of the truth. As I've already quoted, John eight thirty one and 32, Then said Jesus to those Jews which believed on him, If you continue in my word, then are ye my disciples indeed, and ye shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. The truth is so very important. And Luke eight fifteen says, But that on the good ground are they which... In an honest and good heart, having heard the word, keep it and bring forth fruit with patience. So people who do not have a good heart will not receive the love of the truth. And that can lead to God sending them a strong delusion. We'll talk about that more in a moment. But first, let's take this call. Chris from New Mexico, go ahead with your Bible question or comment, please. Is it biblical to... Um, I have a wife that's withholding sex. And uh, I don't know if I can um, live multiple years without sex. Is it okay to divorce in those circumstances or, or not? Let's read Matthew 19.9 and see if you can tell us the answer to that, Chris. Here we go. Jesus is speaking in Matthew 19.9. He says, Whosoever shall put away his wife, except it be for fornication... And shall marry another, committeth adultery. And whoso marrieth her which is put away, doth commit adultery. Can you tell from mm. that verse, Chris, if you have a scriptural right to divorce your wife because she's withholding no. from you? No, but it also says in Corinthians, you know, for the wife to not withhold, and, and neither the husband to withhold from the wife, you know. That's right. Um, That's right. But but it shouldn't be used as a club to beat your wife over the head with either. I know that. Well, so yeah, so no, so um, the, I think in Matthew nineteen nine, I think you're seeing that the only way you can scripturally divorce her is if she cheats 
and has sexual relations with another man. You can't divorce her for any other reason, right? I see that, yes. But that's, uh, yes, we, and we need to endure to the end enough, uh, yeah. man. Now, uh, now, now, I would agree with you if she's doing that. She is sinning when she does that. The, the, the deal is that not every sin can you divorce somebody for. For example, suppose I get drunk every Saturday night and I'm mean to my wife. That's a sin to get drunk, right? It is, yes. But we can see that from passages like Galatians five nineteen through 21. But even though it's a sin... She can't divorce me for that. The only reason she can divorce me scripturally, according to Matthew 19.9 and the similar passages, is if I cheat on her sexually and she divorces me for that. Now, I'm going to read that passage for the audience that you mentioned in 1 Corinthians 7 because I do think it's very important that the audience see that if your wife is really doing that, she's not doing right. Here's 1 Corinthians 7.3-5. It says, Let the husband render unto the wife due benevolence, and likewise also the wife unto the husband. The wife hath not power of her own body, but the husband. And likewise also the husband hath not power of his own body, but the wife. Defraud ye not one the other, except it be with consent for a time, that you may give yourselves to fasting and prayer, and come together again, that Satan tempts you not for your incontinency or lack of self-control. So you're exactly right. It's a sin on your wife's part if she's withholding marital relations with you. Can, is there any chance you can reason with her with this scripture in 1 Corinthians 7, 3 through 5 and get her, get her to change your mind? Chris? I'm, I'm going to try. Um, you know, it's uh, it, it, it seems like it's going to become a point of contention and uh, um, in a fight. And, you know, it's... it's um, Chris, just it's, just try try, try to reason with her. With, try to reason with her the scripture and get her to change your mind and get her to start practicing what the Word of God says. But that is not a scriptural cause for divorce. If you're trying to divorce her for that, only fornication is that is is scriptural. Daniel from Wisconsin, go ahead with your Bible question or comment, please. Well, I guess we're pretty much on the on the same line there. What I would like to ask you, and I've listened, you know, to your program for a long time, and I really appreciate the fact that you take the hard issues, you know, right to right to the mic. What do decent Christian people do when they are at a complete impasse? They cannot get along. They've agreed to let's say live, you know, mutually apart and you know, you want to separate. You don't want to go have a relationship with somebody else. You don't want to fornicate you don't want to, I, I never hear you say you know if that's the case how you separate and then possibly you know allow the opportunity for time to pass where maybe you could come back together could you uh, cover that a little bit well i want you to think about that last passage from first corinthians 7 that i just read to the last caller did you hear that about how that it, it, it says that uh, we're not to withhold marital relations from our spouse. Were, were you were you listening over the radio as I read that, Daniel? I was listening uh, on on the phone. Yeah, I didn't so, hear that. So really, that it's not only that divorce is wrong, Daniel. Marital separation is wrong because when we maritally separate, uh, 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 what we normally mean by that term, then we are withholding marital relations from our spouse and we're violating 1 Corinthians 7, 3 through 5. Do you see that, Daniel? 
Well, yes and no. I mean, I could. It, it could be something as simple as moving into another room. It, you know, how how do you get to a point where you give enough space to get beyond the ugly and and get back to where you see the sunshine? <laughs> I have this uh, uh, friend, uh, Sewell Hall. His uh, the story goes that a, uh, a woman came to him wanting marriage counseling, and she said, I don't love my husband anymore. And he replied back, repent. The Bible commands us to love our spouse. And so if we don't love them anymore, we need to repent and change. Now, I realize that may be easier said than done, but still, that's what God requires. When, when we made those vows, when we got married, Daniel, that commitment to our wife, for better or for worse, till death do us part, God expects us to fulfill those vows. So, so what we need to do, and I realize this may be hard, but when a man and wife are having problems, they need to try to work through their problems and work toward getting back to being 100% uh, husband and wife again. Not work toward separation, but work toward being together. That's what the Bible would teach. In 1 Corinthians 7, verse 10, Paul said, through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. He says, Unto the married I command, yet not I, but the Lord, let not the wife depart from her husband. And the same thing would be true about the husband departing from his wife. God does not want us to leave or depart from our spouses. He wants us to stick it out, stay together, work through our problems, and get stronger for it, have a stronger marriage. Is that is that possible, Daniel? Oh, I, in, it, in this situation now, I, I'm not, I'm not speaking of my relationship with my wife. I'm speaking okay. of specifically two two people that I'm very concerned about that I've dealt with, and they're really really struggling. And I'd rather than you know me as a an amateur try to to say what I believe. I agree with what you're saying, and mm-hmm. I believe that you. I, I just think. You know, like any any other situation, you you have to put some distance between yourself. Whatever that five feet, ten feet, five hundred feet, whatever. You, you can't be fighting. You can't be abusive. And a lot of times, you know, relationships once that teeter totter happens, it's it's a ninety ten and eighty twenty. It's it's one person is way out there, the other one's trying. One person's stronger, one person's weaker. You know, how does a person? you know, protect themselves and stay basically, you know, in, 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 the, in the right arena. <laughs> oh, Daniel, I, I don't really have any more I can say except for the fact that we are required to do what God says and God expects us to obey the commands and instructions regarding marriage just like He expects us to obey the commands and instructions regarding murder, uh, against murder, against being a thief, against being a homosexual. When God teaches us that we have to stay with our spouse till death do us part, then he means that. Here, here's the passage that would teach that beyond what we've already mentioned. Romans 7, 2 and 3. And by the way, by the way if you're out there and you have a Bible question or comment, give us a call at 877 877- Six five five six seven five five eight seven seven six five five six seven five five. Romans seven two and three says, "For the woman which hath an husband is bound by the law to her husband so long as he liveth. But if the husband be dead, 
she is loose from the law of her husband. So then if while her husband liveth, she be married to another man, she shall be called an adulteress. But if her husband be dead, she is free from that law, so that she is no adulteress, though she be married to another man. So the wife, and, and, and the reverse would work too, the husband being bound to the wife. The wife is bound or obligated to her husband as long as he lives. We need to think about that when we get married. I'm committing to staying with this man or this woman, as the case may be, for the rest of my life, for better or for worse, through sickness or in health. I'm going to stay with them. That doesn't just mean I'm going to uh, 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 um, stay apart from them, get maritally separated. That means I'm going to stay with them as husband and wife until they die. And the only exception to that is given in Matthew 19.9 and Matthew 5.32. If they cheat on you sexually, then you have the right, it's not a requirement, but you have the right to divorce them for fornication. And then you may remarry. Other than that, you are to stay with them till they die. That's just God's law. We must not compromise God's law. If you can compromise God's law on divorce and remarriage, then you could compromise it on any other subject. Uh, and don't we know about people compromising God's law? Churches now are accepting gay marriage. Uh, churches now are accepting murder or in the form of abortion. They're compromising God's law. And we can't criticize them for compromising God's law on abortion and homosexuality if we're going to compromise God's law on divorce and remarriage. God's law on divorce and remarriage says, till death do us part. That's the way it is. There's only one exception to that. We just have to make up our mind we're going to stay with them till death. And if we're not going to do that, we shouldn't have married him in the first place. James from Alabama, go ahead with your Bible question or comment, please. Okay, this is a hard question. Uh, I wish someone would read me in the Bible where a man this day is a preacher. Now, Jesus called them preachers back there when he walked on earth. So who mm -hmm. is a preacher these days? Well... Let me tell you, I'm going to turn to Acts chapter 8, verse now, 4. In the, New in the New Testament, that's right. New Testament says, Therefore they that were scattered abroad went everywhere preaching the word. Now that, that's every Christian in that case had a responsibility to preach the gospel. James this is in the Old Testament too. Really? Acts, this this is the New the Testament. Testament. This is the yeah, New Testament. About James, the Old Testament. No, no, it's not. No, it's not. And so, so preaching simply means teaching the gospel. Every Christian has a responsibility to teach the gospel. And in that sense, they're preaching the gospel. Now, I'm not saying a woman should get in the pulpit at church and preach. No, 1 Corinthians 14, 34 and 35 says it's a shame for women to speak in the church. She's not to do that. But even a woman is to get out and try to teach the gospel to her neighbor, like an, maybe her next door neighbor who's another lady, as she has opportunity. And when she does, if she does, you could call that preaching because she's teaching the gospel. That, no, that, that's, the question, you ain't telling me where it is. In the Bible, word a man is called to preach. Yeah. Um, well, where he's called to preach? Well, you know, in the New Testament. Okay. Now, he did tell Paul and Peter and James, all of them disciples, to go out there and preach. But I don't know of nowhere else he tells a man to preach. Well, I think some people, James, are confused that 
that there's some kind of special, miraculous calling for people to preach, but I don't think that's the way it works. Let me read you a passage that would, would say that every Christian is called to preach in the sense we've been talking about, teach the gospel. It's 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 14. You the Bible says that. Second Thessalonians. James? You said everyone. You wanted the verse. Just give me a minute and I'll give you the verse. Okay. 2 Thessalonians 2, 14 says, Where to he hath called you by our gospel to the obtaining of the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. And so he calls every Christian or every sinner to become a Christian by the gospel. And the gospel then teaches that once we become a Christian, we should go out and try to teach our neighbor. So in that sense, he calls everybody to be a preacher by the gospel, according now to Second Thessalonians. According to Second Thessalonians chapter two verse fourteen, he calls us by the gospel. That's every Christian is called to become a Christian and then to teach the gospel. Second Thessalonians two verse fourteen. We're going to go to another call. How about Tony from California? Go ahead with your Bible question or comment, please. Uh, hi, Patrick. Um, I just had a question, actually. Uh, I know there's a big topic about being baptized and being saved, um, and I do agree with that. But something that uh, I thought about um, that really hasn't been, uh, nobody's asked the question is, what, ha- what would happen to somebody who, let's say that they're sick and they're on their deathbed, uh, they accept Christ, uh, but they don't, you know, obviously maybe either have the time or the strength to be baptized um, for the remission of those sins. But what what would happen to somebody like like that, somebody that passes without being baptized and they're, you know, saved? You uh, Tony, know, I'm going to them. Okay. I'm going to ask you a question, and you got to bear with me. I have a reason mm-hmm. to ask this question. Suppose somebody's sick and on their deathbed, and somebody's trying to teach them the gospel, and, and, and they would have accepted Christ, say that guys already started teaching them the gospel, and they were going to accept Christ, but they died first. They died when the, right after the guy started teaching the gospel, let's say 15 minutes after he started teaching them. And if there would have been another 45 minutes, they would have accepted Christ, but they died before they accepted Christ. They would have, but they died first. What's going to happen to them, Tony? Um, well, they probably wouldn't <laughs> go to heaven. Yeah, but even though, even though they would have accepted Christ, they died mm-hmm. before they accepted Christ. And Jesus said in Mark 16, 16, He that believeth and is baptized shall be saved. And so I think you can see that a person has to believe to be saved. So if they die right before they're going to believe, they're going to be lost. Because Mark 16, 16 says you've got to believe and be baptized to be saved. So now, Tony, I'm getting around to answer your question the same way you answered that question. They, they died before they had a chance to get baptized. Then they haven't met the requirement of Mark 16, 16. So they're not going to be saved according to Mark 16, 16. He that believeth and is baptized shall be saved. Does that make sense, Tony? Well, I mean, that makes sense. That definitely makes sense. Um, I mean, because mm-hmm. obviously you have to follow the steps, but uh, you know, so many people who, uh, who, if you don't, who do accept Christ, you know, when they're in their last days, and to think that they really weren't really saved, that's kind of, you know, because mm-hmm. <laughs> it, I never thought about that until, you know, uh, recently. Um, yeah. But yeah. And I'm sure a lot of family, you know, people, Christians who maybe were 
family members of the loved one, you know, they they were thinking that they're saved. If 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 they you know feel felt that they were saved, but in reality they're not saved. <laughs> uh-huh. so kind of yeah, a, I, I'm. I'm looking at Acts 2.38. You mentioned being baptized for the remission of sins. Let me read that briefly and ask you another question, Tony. Peter said unto them in Acts 2.38, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the remission of sins, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. Now, you mentioned that or referred to that about being baptized for the remission of sins. But a reason I want to bring this verse out is it tells us that not only do we have to be baptized for the remission of sins, we have to repent for, to yes. get the remission of sins. So here's the fellow on his deathbed that accepts Christ, he believes in Christ, but he doesn't repent of his sins. He doesn't have time. He dies before he has a chance to repent of his sins. Mm-hmm. Is he is he going to be saved? No. <laughs> no, because he didn't repent. Yeah. You see, yeah. see we, we can't, this lesson we ought to learn is don't wait till your deathbed to decide to obey the gospel. Okay. In other words, right. while you have time, while you have the faculties, go ahead and accept Christ and obey Christ. Do what he said. Right. He that believeth and is baptized shall be saved. Repent and be baptized for the remission of sins. Go ahead and get that done. Don't put yourself in this position where you die before you have a chance to believe, or you die before you have a chance to repent, or you die before you have a chance to be baptized. You see what I'm saying, Tony? Oh, yeah. No, I definitely understand. I just wanted to get some clarification on that. Yeah. Um, but, yeah. What, one thing we never want to do, Tony, you tell me if you, you agree. We never want to compromise the Word of God. We have, to, we have to go ahead and stand for what Jesus requires and stand for what He says, because if we compromise on any one thing, for example, if I were to say, well, He's going to be saved even though He didn't get baptized because He, he's a, he died. If I were to compromise on that and say, okay, he's going to be saved anyway, then, then I am susceptible to compromising on anything that Jesus said. You follow me? Mm-hmm. Yeah, we oh yeah. we, right. we right. never want to compromise on anything that Jesus says because then everything he says becomes compromised, in effect. Okay? Right. Okay. The, situation, okay. the situation doesn't change what God says and what the Bible requires. Thank you, Tony, right. thank you for your call, okay? Thank you. Thank you, Patrick. Appreciate it. Have a good day. The rest of the night. You have a good day. Thank you. Thank you. All right. Bye. Bye-bye. Let's see. I'll take another call here. Charlie from Illinois. Go ahead with your Bible question or comment, please. Yes, you're talking about uh, you can die uh, before being baptized that you're going to go to hell. What about the thief on the cross? Yep. I would say, Charlie, we have this question about every other program, and it's a good question. And what I want you to do is, we're about to have to go off air, but I want you to read Hebrews 9, 15 through 17. I'm going to read 16 and 17 because I'm running out of time. It says, for where a testament is, there must also of necessity be the death of the testator. For a testament is a force... After men are dead, otherwise it is of no strength at all while the testator liveth. Just like my parents' will, their will, which was written in the 1970s, did not go into effect until both my parents had died. The writer of Hebrews is saying the same thing about Jesus' last will and testament, the New Testament. And that is, it did not go into effect until after Jesus died. Jesus himself lived under the Old Testament law. He nailed it to the cross. And so the 
New Testament did not go into effect until after Jesus died. And the New Testament is what requires a person to be baptized for the remission of sins. The thief on the cross didn't have to be baptized for the same reason that Adam didn't have to be baptized. The same reason Moses didn't have to be baptized. The same reason Abraham and Joshua and Caleb, none of those people had to be baptized because they lived under the Old Testament times which didn't require it. The New Testament law which came into effect beginning in Acts chapter 2 that's what requires baptism. That's the law we live under. Now, before I go off the air, let me mention my website, BibleCrossfire.com. BibleCrossfire.com. I want you to go there. and I want, It's a really nifty website that my friend Shane Pack did for me. You can send me an email during the week about any Bible topic, and we can talk about the Bible through email. You can sign up for a free Bible correspondence course. You can listen to old programs. Go to BibleCrossfire.com, send me an email, we'll talk more about these issues through the week.